This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Manitani Stillworks. He's Max Pfeffer. I'm Rich Shane. Don Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Max, this has been what? 20 months in the making to get here. We were supposed to meet, I think, the week after the COVID you know, restrictions started in play. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Sorry, I happen to have a baby at that time, too. So, start of COVID, having a kid, uh, it was interesting times. Well, you will always know exactly what was going on in your baby's life when, when your baby was born, right? I always, and, I always know how long this pandemic was going because I know how old my son is. That's the same exact time period. And, and I'm sure there will always be that thread of being able to share with your son, hey, this, is, this was life when you were born, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, the Manitani story, for people that are hearing the podcast and are not familiar with Manitani, talk about how Manitani got started and how you became the chief distiller at Manitani. Uh, one day I was brewing, uh, and John Giannopoulos, who's the owner of Slapbox, uh, calls me into his office. And I'm not sure if you ever met John before, but he's a kind of a big, intimidating guy. He uh, was a rugby player in college. And he's like, Max, come into my office. I'm like, oh man, what's going on? Like, things are great right now. Like, yields are up, beer's tasting better than ever, our dissolved oxygen is down. And uh, so I'm like, wondering what's going on. And I remember walking into his office and thinking, don't have me close the door. Don't have me close the door because then it's going to be something bad. So walk in, door stays open. I'm like, that's a good sign. And I sit down, and he's like, Max, starting a distillery do you want to do it and i said um yes but john i don't know how to distill he's like yeah you'll learn and that's how i became his distiller what what were some of your hesitations right there because you had the chemical engineering background and after four after three years with sly fox three years of victory i'm sure you have the confidence to know i mean if you're making whiskey you're making beer 
in, in, in a sense, you, you have some of the fundamentals. What were some of the, do you remember some of those hesitations? Was it just, this is a whole different world and I haven't done this before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I made beer for two amazing companies that know, and I, I know how to make beer. Uh, I, at least I knew how to make beer at least uh, eight years ago. I'm not sure if I could do it anymore, but um, I knew how to make great beer, and I knew that the start of making whiskey is just making beer. So if you can make beer, you're halfway to making whiskey. Um, but I, I knew absolutely nothing about the other half, you know, the distillation, the barrel aging, um, and that was you know scary, you know, jumping into it. Um, having to build something from the ground up uh, with kind of no experience. So what were some of your resources? Because you're going from already established breweries, but what were some of your resources? How did you go about setting up the distillery here um, to what you would know and how you wanted to produce what you would produce? What were some of the processes there? Well, one of the things that I'd seen in my, my time as a brewer for uh, you know, expanding breweries was that expansion was always an issue. Um, so I wanted to make sure that whatever we did, it would last a while. Um, as an engineer, I like to oversize, you know, make sure that everything is bigger than what I need because there's so many issues where, you know, you wish this was a little bit bigger. You wish, you know, you had a little bit taller ceilings. Um, so we really wanted to, I really wanted to avoid those issues. Um, and then, you know, the other big thing that we had going on with us is our, obviously our partnership with Sly Fox. Um, and instead of uh, making a typical American whiskey, like a bourbon or a rye, you know, we were going to take a different approach and utilize their brew house. Um, so everything got sized off of the brew house. So if you look at the stills behind you, you know, they're, not little stills. They're not well, that's the, the thing because a lot of you know, a lot of new distilleries, you kind of build into what your budget can afford or the spaces you talked about, but capacity in terms of what production you're going to run. So what you're saying is, you have this large capacity coming to you. You don't want to start with something that's going to be smaller. You can't do that. Correct. So we wanted to, you know, we wanted to make. I wanted to make a production facility and production. In the, in the craft scale of things. You know, I make nothing compared to the big guys. But, you know, versus other people, I can produce a fair amount of whiskey. Uh, versus, you know, a lot of small stills, uh, startups that have these tiny little stills. Make great stuff, but you can't make a lot of it. Um, so one of my goals was to not have to buy a new still in three years. Um, to have to have significant upgrades in two years or a short period of time. And essentially, we've done... Um, no significant expansion since then, and we're cranking out a ton of whiskey, and the system is, you know, working, working really well. What are some of the resources at least you used for your equipment? How did you go about figuring, you knew the capacity, you knew what you wanted to do as far as out output, but where did you use as a resource to kind of get that equipment set up and started? Um, so I'd say the inspiration for my still design uh, came from a uh, former master distiller from Maker's Mark. Um, so I was, uh, I went to the Moonshine University, which is a, which is a, I think it was the first year they were doing it. And essentially it's a, a class for startup distilleries. And when I went there, um, 
you know, part of it wasn't a, that helpful for me because, you know, they went over the science of, you know, fermentation and mashing, which I knew, you know, better than the teachers at that point. No, I didn't do that, but I knew it very well. You had a, and I wasn't you, going... You had a great education, so you yeah, knew... Yeah, the science with. wasn't the hard part for me. Um, but where it was really helpful was the, you know, after the classroom, we, you know, I'd sit and chat with the present the presenters, you know, the, the guys who had been in the industry for a while and, um, the, the master distiller at Maker's Mark at that time was a former brewer. So we connected in that sense. And I was talking to him about what you, what we were doing. And he's like, this is what you should do. And he draws a still on a piece of paper and hands it to me. And I said, okay, you know, how am I going to know better than this guy? Um, so that was, you know, that's how I got my stills. It was basically off of that paper drawing. When we were talking in the beginning, offline, before the podcast, we, we kind of talked about how you, you know, resonated with Old Line's story because you had listened to that podcast about some of the serendipitous experiences that they have. Yeah. Well, that, Max, for you, yeah. that's, that's one of those serendipitous experiences where all of a sudden this gives you the blueprint to kind of put together exactly what you want to produce and do. That's an amazing experience. It was it, it was a leap of faith, right? Because, you know, I we invested a significant amount in these stills, and I had to get it right on the first try. And we were moving fast and everything. You know, there wasn't time to you know, plan for two years. Um, so, you know, it was a, you know, what better, who, who better to trust? You know, and I, you know, it was a great decision for us. Um, you know, and I, if I would have eight years later, would I have done things a little bit differently? Sure, probably. You know, but it's worked out pretty well for us. So I'm curious. You touched on, hey, Sly Fox is doing beer, and now they want to get into the distillation space. What were some of the reasons for wanting to do that? Was it just that perfect time for where craft was really taking root, or was there a, an idea behind it? Like you said, hey, we're producing beer. Maybe there's another outlet for what we're producing. What were some of the reasons for that? Um, I would think, uh, so I think John, from John's perspective, he was looking for another vertical. Okay. You know, he was looking for, you know, we have beer that's going great. How can we do something similar that will have, uh, you know, similar um, trajectory? And craft beer at that time was like, you couldn't do anything wrong craft beer. And you were, everybody was growing. You know, today's a little bit of a different story. Um, so, you know, I think he was, uh, him and a couple of our other early partners were smart to see, you know, it was early in at least a modern uh, era of the craft distilling world. Uh, and there was a lot of opportunity there. Uh, we had, you know, a good amount of background from our beer side. So the jump wasn't as big for someone coming from, you know, out of industry. Uh, we had a lot of connections uh, on the you know, equipment side, the sales side that, you know, we could utilize to kind of push us forward. You know, that's how we, you know, I think we we were from the, the day that I found out we were going to do it to, you know, the day we started making whiskey was, I think, about a year. So we, we turned everything that's around a fast, pretty quickly. That is. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like so quick. And you've got this great space here. And one of the things that you had said, look. This space lends to growth, and mm. you're not limited to you, – you can stay here, you know, I guess indefinitely, as long as you don't run out of places to store your barrels. So that's the thing, is that from a production standpoint, I'm, 
I never have to leave this building, but from a storage standpoint, I do. But storage is going to be done off-site. Um, so I can stay here and, you know, crank out double, triple the whiskey that I am now, kind of with my, with, you know, adding a few fermenters, um, and I'm good to go. You know, from a space perspective, I probably need a couple thousand more square feet, though. And is that, I mean, look, you have an amazing cocktail program. And, and one of the things I think for Dawn and I that we read that resonated right off the bat on, from our first visit here was just how fabulous and amazing your cocktails are. And with this space, you're almost, hey, I'm, we're in the distillery and we kind of get to see how everything goes. You've got your barrels resting. Was that some of the vision to, to kind of bring it into that, hey, this is a distillery, this is a working distillery. That's how you want the patron to feel when they come here? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> um, honestly, that's, that wasn't our expectation. Um, you know, when we built this place, we thought it was going to be more tours, samplings. Um, and one of the things that surprised us is that, you know, people started treating us like a neighborhood bar, you know, like a, a place to go for cocktails on a Friday night. Um, that wasn't our expectation. Uh, we didn't think that was going to happen. So we had to pivot, you know, when... When you see this all coming and that's what people want, you know, you're trying to do your best to, you know, from a business perspective to give them what they want, um, you know, have it work well for you too. That's very interesting that in a sense, because you've got, like I said, you've got these great cocktails, but that wasn't the vision in the beginning. No, absolutely not. That's pretty fascinating. So when you started, you started with your clear spirits, obviously. Yep. Um, what was just... When you started to formulate, like you said, you went to Moonshine University, you had your background in chemical engineering, but what were some of the visions that you wanted to have, even for your clear spirits, to help them achieve this high level of quality? Um, so when I first, uh, you know, when we were getting ready to go, the stills were in, we were starting our first couple test runs, um, I had it in my mind that I was going to emulate Stranahan's. Um, I had found a bottle of Stranahan's, I fell in love with it. You know, the idea of uh, the American single malt whiskey. Um, I you know, thought they were doing great stuff, and they still are, obviously. Um, so that was the goal. We were going to do that. Um, but from a fiscal side, um, first thing we had to do was, you know, generate some cash flow. You're not going to generate cash flow with aged whiskey when you don't have any aged whiskey. So one of my first tasks were to um, make a white spirit, a white whiskey. And we made some malt whiskeys, and I didn't think they worked well as a clear spirit. So I actually uh, took some inspiration from uh, a Weiss beer, you know, coming from two German-inspired breweries. Uh, you know, a Weiss beer is essentially half malt, half wheat. Um, so I kind of took that as a base uh, idea and mixed in some uh, oats and some rye. Uh, oats, you know, typically in beer would give you some body, a little bit of flavor, and rye can give, you know give you a little bit more spice. And when we made this white whiskey, I just fell in love with it, and that was the inspiration to kind of where we are now, where our flagship is not a malt whiskey; it is a four grain whiskey. Um, so we we took that recipe, evolved it a little bit uh, for a barrel um, a barrel aged version. And we ran with it from there. I, I think it's, a, you know, even as you've gone through your experience in your career, but really learning and understanding the beer side of things and how it's helped you as a distiller. 
and and knowing, like you said, what are oats going to do? What are what is rye going to do? Because I think for a lot of distilleries or even distillers getting started, that's a learning process that you already had the basis of an education for. Somewhat. I mean, I know what it's going to do with beer, but I don't know what it's going to do in <laughs> the spirit. Um, and I, to this day, I like to say I make uh, brewer's whiskey. Um, you know, for you know, one part is we're off the grain, uh, which means that you know, typically American whiskey is corn or rye based, and when you mash that, um, it gets really sticky. So uh, that whole mash goes into the fermenter and then into the still, uh, where the more the Scottish style is more following the beer world where. You mash with primarily malt, and then you louder. You remove the spent grain from the liquid and move forward with the liquid only. Um, so that is very much a beer style of, of beer approach, and that's the way we do it. So you know that that speaks to my experience and my you know you know my inner brewer in me to make that style of whiskey. I want to speak to your experience. Because where we are in Pennsylvania and where we are in the whiskey world, what's it like for you right now that you are now one of those more experienced distillers in the industry? That you're now, you spoke at the American Whiskey Convention. You're, you're now sought out for your experience, for your knowledge that you impart. But what, you're kind of carrying the mantle now. I kind of said, you had mentioned hey, you're the second generation or the second to come in behind some of those early distillers, but you're up there as far as what you're doing, what you're producing. What's that like for you? Do you, do you recognize your place you know, in, in the craft industry right now for yourself? No. No? Not really. Do, do, does your family kind of remind you, hey, you're just dad? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my, my daughter's like, oh, my dad makes whiskey, but she, obviously she's four, so she doesn't have a clue what that is. Okay. Um, she just knows she can't drink any of it. Um, I mean, that's kind of not the perspective I take. Um, you know, for, for me, what I, I'm just always focused on, one, education, educating the consumer of more about whiskey. Um, one of my passions is that, you know, for me, when I walk into a liquor store and I see uh, whiskey on the aisle, you see bourbon, you see rye, you see scotch, you see Irish, you see Canadian, um, you know, maybe there's a few bottles of Japanese whiskey. Um, but that's it. Which, and it's strange to me, coming from the beer world where, you know, you walk across the street to Slyfox and they have 24 different styles of beer on tap right now. Three weeks later, they'll have another 24 different styles of beer. So one of the things that upset me about the whiskey world was that I thought there was a very narrow idea of what whiskey could be. Um, so I wanted to you know, innovate. I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to make the same thing everybody else was making. So, you know, I think that four grain path was part of that was to not make a bourbon, not make a rye, not make anything else you've had. I made a unique whiskey. One of the difficulties of that is that, um, you know, there's still that education part. Uh, you know, a lot of people walk in here and say, can I have a bourbon? And I say, I don't make bourbon. I make whiskey. And they're like, I don't want whiskey. I want a bourbon. And you have to have that conversation. There's, there's the whole education piece. But I think that that's what opens up for me as the consumer, that I get educated, that I get to expand my knowledge. And that makes what you're doing even more exciting for me. Yeah, one of the things we do is we have a lot of transparency. So if you, you take a look at our bottle, 
Um, we'll give you the recipe right on the bottle. We'll tell you what barrel it was in, um, how old it is. We'll give you some notes about uh, what went into making that whiskey. So when you pick up that whiskey and it's different, you can look and tell, you know, tell you why. Um, so you know, you'll see that on every single bottle we do. So we want to promote that uh, education. We want to know why, you know, what oats does in whiskey. You know, you can, if you look at a, a, one of my whiskeys that has oats and one of that doesn't, you can kind of start to understand those differences. I get a sense from your desire to be very innovative, to be very creative, that you're somebody that can be content but not satisfied. You're content with the level of, you know, where, like you said, hey, you don't have those concerns about making sure that payroll's met now. You know that what you have resting is going to be an exceptional product and you don't have that uneasiness to know that we just stick all this juice in a barrel just to dump it down the drain at some point. But you, you've got this, you know, some people, as you talked about, they'll just make a bourbon, they'll just make a rye. Is it just that, is it for you just experiencing, I'm never satisfied. I want to, I want to do something new. I, I, I want to challenge myself. Where does that come from for you, Max? Um, I don't like to be static. I like to keep moving forward. I always love to learn. Um, you know, one of the things I preach to anybody who works for me is if you're not learning, you're not in the right spot. Um, you're either not, you need to do more yourself or I'm not doing enough for you. Um, and we need to fix that one way or another. So I want to constantly be learning and improving. And, you know, I think I make good whiskey. Um, but could I make better whiskey? Yeah, I can make better whiskey. And, you know, like I said to you, I always say that the best whiskey that I made was the last whiskey that I put in the barrel. Um, and that will be true next week when we put more whiskey in the barrel next week. And that will be my best whiskey I've ever made. So living by that, like I'm, we're always tweaking. We're always trying to get better. Um, you know, because if not, you're going to get passed by. You know, you have to be, you know, there's just so much more that, that anybody can do to improve you know, to think you're good where you are is, you know, just foolish to me. What were some of those for you, that recognition either for Manitani or for you individually, the, going from that brewer experience now to being a, a distiller, what were some of those things that for you said, okay, I'm on to something, that I, I know this is the right path and you're really doing something that is, you're supposed to do? Um, that people actually want to drink my whiskey. It's still <laughs> such a strange concept to me when, you know, people come in here and buy a bottle of whiskey after tasting it. And they're like, I'm like, wait, they, they like something that I made. It's still like to this day, it's just such a weird feeling that people like that. Um, and it, you know, you know, makes me feel good. It gives me confidence. It makes me want to make sure the next bottle they buy is better than the bottle they buy, they bought before. The things that you're saying right now, was that instilled in you as, as a child? I mean, did you grow up in a family that, that, that encouraged you to be competitive or encouraged you to learn or encouraged you to keep growing? And not only that, but just what you do, Max, is you bring others along on the journey. Is that something you grew up with? Um, not necessarily. Um, I was a third child. 
Um, I was probably a little whiny, uh, underachieved, you know, never kind of fulfilled my, you know, at least uh, on educational. I wasn't an A student, um, but I, I constantly still kept on going forward. You know, at some point it clicked for me that, you know, you know, I have to take things more seriously. I have to kind of make a path for myself. Uh, you know, so it wasn't always that way. It just, uh, one day it just, you know, clicked and just got to, got to be better. You got to do more, you know, you got to be better. You got to treat people nice. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's an important thing in this world. It's not all about you. It's about, you know, the community that you, you grow. That's one of the things I love about this community is that the, uh, coming from the brewers and the distillers, it's just, they're all good people. You know, people are happy to be here. You know, it creates a positive environment. The people who come in are happy to be there. Um, so there's a lot of positivity that I think, you know, resonates with me. We talk a lot, and that seems to be a constant thread, no matter where we go and who we talk to, that the community, that the industry as a whole, everybody's here to help each other. Everybody's here. But why do you think it's special in the craft distillery industry or you know even craft brewing too why why don't why doesn't that exist why does that exist here why why is that important you think in in, in to carry that through i think it's about a lot about what craft is uh craft is the somewhat the anti-establishment you know it's not the mass producers that are you know faceless companies that are just making tons of product you know what, what made craft special and i think what you know, it wasn't that it just tasted different or better. It was the experience that the, everybody had, from the people making it to the people consuming it, that it turned more into a lifestyle of, I want to be, you know, I want to be craft. I want to support my local distillers supporting their local farmer. You know, it, it became, you know, it's, it's not always about the liquid. You do have some family heritage in the brewing industry. Your grandfather has had some. He had some experience. I understand in, in the brewing, you know, heritage and lineage. Um, so my, I think my great grandfather was uh, made wine presses, um, and then I think my grandfather uh, owned a trucking business that at one point controlled the uh, distribution of Peel's beer in New York City, which. Uh, doesn't mean a lot to me, or so there, it doesn't. It doesn't resonate in a way that there's at least some some like roots in in the some sort of industry where you are today. I don't think so. Uh, you know, uh, my family was more on the medical side of things. Um, uh, you know, my brother is a mechanical engineer. My sister is an attorney. Um, so it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't obvious that this was a path that I was going to take. Um, but it never surprised anyone that I went towards the craft side of things instead of a professional, you know, uh, you know, corporate structure. I'm curious now, given the family history and everything that your immediate family has, what what's what's that been like for you? Being you know, being a, a brewer and a distiller, what what kind of feedback do you get from your family? Uh, I think they were a little uncertain about okay. it early on. Um, they, they didn't think I was being serious about it. Um, but I think I proved them wrong. Um, you know, I think they're, they're proud and we had a Apple brandy release a few days or a few weeks ago 
and my mom and dad came in here and they brought friends and they had themselves a great time and they were you know it was nice to see them you know enjoying you know being some of my consumers and not just because uh you know my mom loves my gin she loves my apple brandy uh my dad's a little more uh a little more discerning you know he, he gives me more of the criticism uh which i appreciate um, he wouldn't be dad if uh <laughs> absolutely not I, I don't want him to you know you know, you know fill up with a uh, hot air you know i, I like uh I like constructive criticism. You know, it was in one of your other podcasts with Art. He's like being a Philly guy. I have that Philly mentality. It's like, if I'm doing something wrong, tell me. I want to know. Don't, you know, sugarcoat it. Like, you know, I'll figure it out and move on from there. So it's nice to know where you stand. That's what I appreciate about, you know, Philadelphia and the community here. There is no shortage in Philadelphia of people who will let you know if they don't think you're on the right path or something. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could live without that. You know, when, I've, when I went to Davis, everybody in California was really nice, but you never know what they're thinking. You know, that's very on the, you know, for me at least, it was very on the surface. I made friends with somebody from Louisiana, Wisconsin, Maine, um, you know, all the, but really nobody from California. I'm not trying to put California no, down you're not. or anything. I, I, my brother's out there. I, I want to move out there. Uh, when I can afford it. So let's do this. When we come back, let's enjoy some of your spirits and let's talk about some of the innovation and some of the new things that are coming from you and Manitani. Sure. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B R E W S C U I D.com. We're back. And we have a number of expressions here, Max, we're going to talk about, we're going to try. These expressions really, I think, typify the Manitana story and where Manitani story and where you're taking things. So what's the first expression that we're going to try today? So the first thing we're going to try is our four-grain whiskey. Uh, this is our flagship uh, product. Um, so uh, as I'll read right off the label, uh, this is 79% malt, 10% wheat, 9% oats, and 2% rye. Uh, in this blend. So this is aged in new American oak um, at a minimum of one year and uh, we usually do one, two, and some three-year-old barrels that go into this blend. One of the things that, this is still one of my favorites and understandably so, I understand why this is a flagship. I get such sweet, cherry, almost like a a Coca-Cola caramel notes on this. It's just a very pleasant drinking whiskey and I think from your vision you could take this and this is just a great sipping whiskey or this is a cocktail whiskey as well is that is that kind of the, the basis for where you wanted to go yeah absolutely this is this is I call this my everyday whiskey you know so if I can have a dram at the end of the night I'm happy with it if I want to make an old-fashioned it works great in that in that sense too I it was for me where where this whiskey falls is uh, somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. What I mean by that is that uh, I like to say it's like somewhere halfway between a scotch and a bourbon uh, where, you know, it has a heavy malt profile and it's kind of the backbone of the whiskey, but it has the new American oak and then it has the other grains, the, the, the wheat, the oats and the rye, which give it much more of an American spice to it. So this is sort of a... 
you know, somewhere halfway in between. Doesn't have the corn that a lot of people would expect. Um, so it, you know, it's a little bit softer palate than you would from a bourbon or a rye. Um, but it's, I think it's a great entryway for bourbon drinkers to get into scotch and for scotch drinkers to move towards bourbon. So if I were to deconstruct this, because this is fascinating to me, I can understand where the rye comes in. I can understand where it imparts the spiciness on this too. When, when you talk about it, the malt is the backbone. What are some of the tasting notes that I would be receiving or experiencing that the malt's going to impart? What, what would that be for me? Because I know where the, the oak and the wood's going to come in. But for me, where, where's that coming in? Um, I like to say a lot of it is in the softness of the whiskey. Um, malt is going to be a lot more subtle of a grain in whiskey than you will find in you know, bourbons or rye's. Um, and typically, you don't really see malt whiskey in New American Oak either. Um, although you're seeing it more and more now because the oak, um, you know, they say that, uh, whiskey is 70% or more barrel. I think when you have a lighter spirit on the malt whiskey side, you start to get a lot more of the oak. So, um, to me, I think it brings a softness. Um, it brings a kind of, uh, wider palate, um, where, you know, there isn't any single note that is uh, popping out at you. You know, you don't get the phenolic from a rye. You don't get that, that corn sweetness from the bourbon. Um, so that's what I would say is it, it has kind of drinks more like uh, Irish whiskey or uh, Scotch whiskey in that sense. What I find is just the experiences. And as we've been sipping it, how it's changed. It, and I get this. What I enjoy at the end is you're getting that oakiness and you're getting this lingering grassiness to it. It's just a pleasant, like you said, hey, I can drink this every day. Yeah. This is, what's that? Like a cherry or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a characteristic of my oak. Um, you kind of get that cherry cherry character. Um, you know, one of the things that um, this product has... No two bottlings of this product have ever been the same. It used to be called Keystone, but we had to switch that for reasons we won't discuss today. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, we've probably done 30, 40 bottlings of this, and each time is just a little bit different. And it's also a, a constantly evolving whiskey, too. Uh, and that's because my whiskey is constantly evolving. Uh, so, as we discussed earlier, um, we're not doing this, we're not making the same whiskey every time. We're improving on it. We're trying to get better. Uh, so because of that, if you're not making the same exact whiskey the same exact way every single time, you know, it's going to be harder to have a consistent product. But my goal is when you taste one bottle and you taste a newer bottle, that newer bottle is going to be better. And then you go you know, get uh, another bottle that's three batches later, and it's going to be even better than that. Um, so one of the things that I'm excited about this year is that we're also – uh, we made some significant changes to our process um, to uh, what I think improve the whiskey. And it's going to, we've had a lot of minor jumps, you know, a little subtle differences, but this is going to be a big change for us. Is it, if you're, I mean, I, I know you don't want to give away all the secrets to the candy store. You are nice enough to put your mash bill and things like that on the, the label so people can better understand and be educated. Are, are you working with things like different, you know, oak, different barrels, different chars, different yeasts 
different, you know, hey, when you're pulling the hearts and the heads and, and all those things off that? So, yes. Actually, okay, all that. Basically all of it. Um, I think one of the most important things that we've done is that we've um, improved our oak. Um, so typically, you know, when I first ordered whiskey barrels, I, I just said, give me a whiskey barrel. And I didn't know, you know, you could actually specify, you know, uh, add specs to that barrel. Um, so um, now our barrels, so the, the whiskey that you're drinking now was in 12-month oak. What that means is that uh, when you cut down an oak tree, you can't just make it right into a barrel. You have to let the wood season. So it basically sits out, and there are all these microorganisms that start breaking down the wood um, and uh, generating a lot of the character from the, the oak, removing some of the green from the, from the oak. And the longer you do that, the, to me, you start getting less green character, and you get more kind of softer, rounder characters from the oak. It's not as sharp of a flavor, but it's still, you know, I think better. Um, so we moved from six month oak to 12 month oak. And then this year we've actually moved to 18 month oak. Um, so we're paying more for these barrels, but I think the, what we get in return are, is certainly worth it. Um, and then the other part of that is that we're planning on using these barrels a second time for our, our malt whiskey program. Now you just hit on something that's a great education point for me that just really struck. So I mentioned to you, in the, in the flavor profile, what lingers is this grassiness to it. And you mentioned this green character to the oak. Is that something that's being imparted into the whiskey, that the fact that it's, it's a younger oak that now transfers, like you said, green and the grassiness? Is that, is that similar to what I'm trying and maybe what I'm getting as flavor? Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's kind of two parts to that. Is that. One, it's the seasoning of the wood. And then two, it's the time in the barrel. Um, so... Um, the more time you have in the barrel, those greener characters will evolve and diminish over time. And then the other thing is if you use the more seasoned oak, you have less of them to start. So you're kind of off to a, a faster start. You just taught me something. I just learned, I mean, not, I, I, that's why I want to do, this is why this fascinates me because I get to learn. And this is selfish for me because now I get to be better at drinking, better understanding whiskey. So thank you for that little gift of, of knowledge that you just you and, just gave. That's great. And, and hopefully so, the listeners resonate with that too. This is, this is how we perceive things. This is not right. It's not wrong. You know, everybody does it a little bit differently, but that, that's how... You know, trying different seasoning. You know, we even tried 24-month oak, but we thought there was diminishing returns on that. Um, so, you know, we, you know, that's where we think does best for our whiskey. So what's next? Um, so to kind of continue along that path, um, I actually have a uh, three-month sample of our four-grain whiskey. Um, and this is kind of... To kind of show you where the direction that it's headed into. So one of the things we talked about is we changed the barrel, but we also changed our distillation technique as well. Um, a couple things in there is that one, we, we reduced the size of our yield. Um, so we have less overall alcohol in our still. And the more alcohol you put in the still, the higher alcohol you get out of the still. Um, so we wanted to bring that alcohol down because when you're bringing that alcohol down, you're replacing it with you know, something else, right? Um, and those other things have character, the, the conjurers, the, 
the water, the you know, the you're removing less the when you when you bring that proof down. So our exit proof off the still it dropped you know about three or four uh, percent because of you know, this this uh, change that we made, and we think it gives it a kind of uh, improve the quality of the whiskey. The other thing that we started trying is um, we started adding a little bit more rye to it. Uh, we've been working with uh, Deer Creek Malt House, uh, and we use uh, all uh, locally grown Pennsylvania rye for our whiskeys. Uh, we upped the rye character to kind of give it a little bit more spice to it. And then the, the, the biggest trick that we, we tried is that um, my stills, if you, you turn around and you take a look at them, are tall. Uh, they're kind of narrow and tall. So if you, the basics of still design, shorter, fatter. By the way, if you're driving right now, don't turn around and look at the stills. <laughs> They're not going to be there. <laughs> so the, uh, a shorter, fatter still tends to give you a more oilier product. The taller, skinnier stills tend to give you a lighter spirit. So my stills tend to be lighter, or my taller and skinnier, so we get a lighter spirit out of the stills. So to kind of, kind of reverse that or go against the grain of that a little bit, we're actually adding some grain back to our still. So earlier we talked about how we're off the grain. So we remove the grain, ferment with just the liquids. Uh, we do our first distillation with just the liquid. And then we're adding grain back in the pot still. And it's boosting, kind of giving a lot more flavor from the grain into the whiskey. Yeah, itself. it's almost like if you left a tea bag mm-hmm. in, in that water for as long as you'd get some more of an intense flavor, right? Is that sure. is that kind of the thought process there? Yeah. So the big difference between off the grain and on the grain is that when you distill on the grain, when you have the grain still in there, you're cooking them again and you're getting more flavors and extractions out of them again, where if you're off the grain, you, you've removed a good portion of that. So you're going to get a lighter spirit basically being off the grain. Um, so putting some grain back in there is kind of boosting our, uh, you know, we want to show off the, the grains a little bit more. Um, so that's kind of what led to some of these changes. I think it's, it's, again, this is all about your growth and maturation experience and understanding and just the idea of, Hey, what if we do this? Or what if we do that? And you have the ability now to make those changes and to do those experiences. Yeah. And uh, frankly, I'm really scared. Why? Uh, because it's, it's a big change. I think it's a good change, but change is just scary. But you touched on something too. I mean, in a way, all right, your four-grain American whiskey today is better than the first iteration you did, and it gets better and better and better. Now, if we're talking about, like a Stranahan's, as you talked about, if you buy a bottle of Stranahan's, you have an idea that this is what it's supposed to taste like, nose like, every single time, right? Yep. Is it a sense that you don't want to deviate too much from the idea that the consumer has this expectation? That you don't want to miss that expectation of the consumer? Or what's really the scary part for you? Um, I think part of that is the scary part. I mean, part of it just changes scary. You know, you know, if we're going to, you know, one of the hard parts about this industry is that um, everything takes time. So I make a change, and it might not really show up for two, three years. Um, and then, so you have to make that change with the confidence that in two or three years that that change is a good thing. You know, if you make a you know a left turn where you should have turned right, and two or three years later you've committed a lot of resources and whiskey, and you can't you can't turn back the other way. 
So anytime you change something, it, it's you know, this is a pretty major change for us personally. Um, so it just you know unsettling for me. So this is that cast strength too. I think that's very interesting in our conversation about how innovative you want to be, but how you still have to be aware of your consumer and the end product because you at the end of the day, what you're throwing into a barrel needs to sell. Yeah. So there's you're a businessman. Yeah, uh, You've got to be able to pay the bills too. For to make more whiskey, I need to sell more whiskey. Um, so that's part of part of the balance. Is that you know if you to me the balance of a craft producer is that you have to make something that you like, that you love, that you want to drink, but it also can't ignore what other people want to. You need to make something that's approachable that you know other people are going to like and want to drink and the people who do that best are you know people who where where those intersects um you know and and, you know it's not crazy nothing out in left field you know but it's you know i'm trying to to create that balance well here's what i can say and i love the i i love where you've gone with this i really do I love how much more spicy this comes out. You get that rye, you get cloves, you get the the baking spice that really linger not as much as what we just had with, like we talked about, with with the grassiness of the notes there. The the sweetness still hits you up front, and and that middle palate um, just just starts to take... What's that? What are you picking up on the end? Because I'm picking up something like... I get a lot of the oak at the end. That's where I'm, even even at a short time, that's where I'm, I'm finding at the end. But you get, I mean, I perceive less of those grassy like characters, exactly. less of those greeny characters, and that I think is a tribute to the better barrel selection that we've been doing. Where at a three month whiskey, the oak profile doesn't taste that young. I even now get some some milk chocolate notes, yeah, some I chocolate notes. Like caramel or something. Yeah. So uh, one of the other aspects is that we've uh, always integrated a little bit of darker malt into it, you know, roasted barley, black malts, um, to kind of. You know, when you take a stout and you turn it into a whiskey, it's one of the kind of first things we try, is that you get these lovely cocoa notes and chocolatey characters and coffee notes that are coming off of that. So we, we've always added small amounts in there to kind of, you know, give that extra note to the whiskey without it being overpowering. That's why I'm smiling. That, those, those resonate with me. And if, if, you know, being from where we are, from Pennsylvania, and knowing our rye heritage... And understanding how I think, and maybe you can speak to this more. Do you think a, a Pennsylvania consumer, a Maryland consumer, um, even even in some ways an Ohio consumer that is more attuned to that rye spirit, do you, do you think that that's something that there's they expect or they want more of a spiciness, or you think you're still educating the I consumer? I think so. You know, when I'm talking about we're you know our four grains in the middle of the Atlantic, I think this moves it closer to the U.S. than it does to uh, Europe. You know, it definitely brings it more towards that you know heavier, oilier, thicker, um, spicier American profile. So, given that this is the way you're going, what you have there, when is that release coming? When can the consumer expect to be enjoying that? Um. Uh, so this is only three months, so it needs to get to at least a year. This um, is only three months? Wow. Yeah. This is incredible. It's just three months. It, and what barrel size are we talking about for this? Full-size barrel, 53. This is a 53-gallon yeah. barrel, and this is the oh, amount yeah. of flavor you're pulling out of this? In three months, yeah. Wow. 
This is this is almost like um, you went four for four today, and you still have another you know you still have another rest of the season to go. Yeah, so this is delicious. So that's why we're we're excited about these changes. Um, you know, I think you earlier you mentioned that you know now that we're not worried about making uh, payroll on uh, every week. Uh, I can spend more money on barrels. I can spend more money on grains. I can reduce my batch size, which are all counter to uh, efficiency. Um, so you know, my pro- my my whiskey is more expensive to make, takes longer, um, but I think all those changes are worth it. I have a question because you talk about barrels and you talk about barrel selection. Where in your mind, because you have to continue to think about this like you know even your bottles your glass is imprinted with your name with covid and the ability to get supplies how is that affecting you as well as what you're thinking because if if we lose you know if you lose barrel supply or barrel um opportunity is limited you still have to think through that as well uh yeah i mean one thing that you brought up which i don't I don't think you know, but I'm actually very proud to say is that, um, so when we first started up, we have a, we have this custom bottle and we made it in China because it was cheap. Um, about two years ago, we made a decision to bring that domestically. Um, so our bottle is now made in Monaco, PA. Um, so we're proud to say that this is actually Pennsylvania whiskey in Pennsylvania glass now. Um, so, uh, one of the other great advantages of that is that the you know, supply chain, you know, having it be so much closer to you is such a huge advantage to us. Uh, we don't have to worry about shipping costs and getting through customs and uncertainty of tariffs. See, um, that's another serendipitous moment that you made that decision and had no idea how important that was going to be it, to your story. It turned out to be, you know, we paid a lot more for this model to bring it domestically, um, but it, it's been totally worth it for that us. Yeah, um, and we it took a little bit longer for it to arrive. I was down to my last 300 bottles, uh, and I was holding on to them, and basically all my bottled stock was down to almost nothing uh, because we were, you know, it took so long to get these bottles. So, you know, just like everybody else, we are struggling with the supply chain. I'm just ordering things six months in advance now, where I used to be able to order them in three weeks. What do you see... With this particular, you know, you're making some changes and you're, you know, you're starting to see the results. What do you see as far as where you'd still like to change this? Any ideas as, as you start to, you know, try this and say, all right, now we want to tweak this a little bit more. Any other changes you think you want to make on that? Not right now. Um, I think uh, I did a poor job as a, you know, going back to my engineering uh, stance is that we changed so many variables at once. Um we're now going to try to slow down um, and try to make it a little bit more reproducible and then try to isolate each individual variable and see how changing uh, the, the entry alcohol proof into the still will change something. Um, so we're going we're gonna to play with everything now to try to dial it in. So your four grain is an 80 proof, and a 90 proof? 90 proof. 90 proof. So yeah. what proof is this going to be, you think, when it goes into the... It'll still probably stay at 90, 90 proof. 90 proof. Um, so it will stay with the same label. Um, you know, we'll make some slight changes. So we're not changing the brand, for example. But you know, one of the things I learned, you know, working at, uh, you know, in the beer world is that beers change constantly. 
the recipes change, the hops change because seasonally every you know year after year the crop was different. So you had to make adjustments. And then you, you know, especially for IPA drinkers, you made that slightly more bitter every year. Just the consumer was now looking for something like that. Um, and now you probably would start to make it hazier and hazier. Uh, so, you know, th- you know, I think products should always, uh, should always try to evolve, to try to improve and try to, you know, there's always room for improvement. So I see a bottle that says double peat on there. Uh, so that's one staring that, at me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one that I'm uh, I'm excited about. Um, so one of the things that we also decided to do was um, invest more into malt whiskeys as well. Uh, going back to that's what I originally had planned to do, and now eight years later, we're kind of coming back around and uh, starting to focus some more on it. But it makes sense for our process too, because we're going to reuse the same barrels that came out of the foregreen. So one of the reasons I can pay you know, extra money for those newer barrels is because I'm going to use them a second time for my malt whiskey. Um, so, you know, I think um, I'm kind of happy I took so long to come back to it because now I, I don't have to learn with the malt whiskey anymore. I can take all the things I've learned with the foregrain and apply them to the malt whiskey and, you know, you know jump forward a little bit quicker now. I think it's interesting now how that malt whiskey is becoming that, that like you even start to look at they're they're looking to set standards for American malt whiskey now. Sure, and and that's where you are with being on the forefront of being part of that renaissance of American malt whiskey, American single malt. Yeah, I, I think um, I see uh, American malt whiskey as a growth category. You know, bourbon. Uh, has its drinkers, you know, we'll always be bourbon and we'll always be king in the United States. But when you talk about, yes, anybody in the world for a whiskey, uh, they're going to think you're talking about malt whiskey. Malt whiskey is the world's whiskey, where bourbon is U.S.'s whiskey. Um, so I think you're going to attract a lot more drinkers. Um, you know, you have all the younger people coming up whose, you know, parents drank scotch, you know, have that different profile. You know, the, even the bourbon drinkers are drinking more scotch now. Um, but then if you take, you know, one of the things that we don't want to do is make scotch, though. You know, we want to have our twist on it. We want to we make sure that it is still an American product that is still reflective of what we do and who we do it. You know, I don't think my malt whiskeys would necessarily, even if I made them in Scotland, would be, it would be classified as scotch. So, but I'm, I'm happy for that, you know. That's the But this thing. is your vision. Yeah. This is this is how you want people to understand your story and be part of what you're doing here, right? Yeah. It's hey, this has already been done in Scotland. This has been done in Ireland. We're just taking our you're you're taking your tools, your techniques, your knowledge, and you're putting to have people enjoy what you're making. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that people are starting to appreciate it more. You know, I, I, I saw it eight years ago when I thought that's what I was gonna do. You know, I got sidetracked a little bit, you know, in, in a very good way for us. Um, but we're coming back around to it. And I think, you know, I, I like what I see out of the category. I think there's so many great examples of amazing American single malts out there now um, that, you know, you're going to, you know, I, I would be scared if I was Scotland. That's, that's like throwing down the gauntlet. A little bit. Wow. Why do you say that? Why is that important from a standpoint to say that? Uh, I love the boldness, by the way. Yeah, don't don't underestimate American innovation. Okay. Um, 
you know, I think one of the, the best things about Scotch and one of the worst things about it is it's uh, entrenched in tradition and history, but it doesn't leave itself any space to evolve. Um, so they're, you know, they can't try what we can try. You know, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, but they're the stuck. Part. They're stuck to their standards, their criteria. That mm-hmm. this is what they had. These are the rules for Scotch, mm-hmm. and that's all they can do. Yeah. Now no. they can they can bring in and they can they can you know they can bring in other barrels. You know they can bring in rum barrels or they can do some different yeah, things. I think, I think as of like two years ago, they're not allowed to use tequila barrels. Yeah. But they weren't allowed to use them before. So there's you know they try to keep the the definition of Scotch pretty narrow. And the, the differences between all the scotch, you know, scotches minus, you know, peat versus not peat are, are very subtle and gets, you know, oftentimes gets lost on the American palate. You know, want bolder, bigger flavors. Um, so introducing uh, newer wood, uh, having a little bit woodier products, um, trying different blends of malts, you know, using more black malts, using crystal malts, uh, uh, I think... That is something that's going to lend towards, you know, more flavor, more range in what, you know, malt whiskey can be. Well, you did a double peat here. So what's that? uh, Why the double peat? What was your thought for that? So um, this isn't a novel idea. I I saw somebody else do it. I'll I'll, I'll admit this one. Uh, I can't remember who exactly it was. But this was a... uh, two and a half year old. Uh, this is about two and a half year old now. In about two years, we put it in an art bag barrel. So we made it here, um, and it's sort of a mildly peated whiskey. It's not over the top. Uh, it's certainly not an Islay um, Scotch style peat. Um, you know, it has a little bit more of those kind of barbecuier flavors than those iodine flavors that He's you get out. Yes, I can tell. Um, so, you know, it, putting on there, but also then getting a little bit of that different profile of peat on there from the finish, um, seemed to be something we'd want to try that was fun. One of the things I get on the nose is you said barbecue. Um, we live in an area that's more rural and people will burn their, you know, there's that burn pile, right? So they'll burn their brush and their leaves and they don't have to throw them in, you know, the, the, the refuse. They don't have to take it to the dump. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in the car and the windows are open and you're just kind of driving in this area, you get this light hint of just this wonderful smokiness. Yeah. And that's what's on the nose. Because you're getting you're getting the, the air of just being out and about. That's Piper. There's Piper. Um, you're getting that air which just a light hint of smokiness, and that's so delightful on the nose. But the flavor profile on this is is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I, I even get some. Um, I want to say salinity. Uh, I almost get like this saltiness, the mm-hmm. sea air saltiness on this. Um, it dries out probably from the wood, but the, the tannin doesn't just suck. You know, you, you don't get done with a lot of peated whiskeys. You'll just get nothing but dryness at the end. Yeah. And this is just a wonderful just experience at the end. Yeah, it, it's dry on the palate, but it's it just stays there. You know, it just sits on your tongue and doesn't go anywhere. Um, and this one is, this one we're, t- we're trying is at cast strength. So this is probably 118, something like that. I just will take that and don't do anything else with it. <laughs> yeah. Cast strength, double peated. This is delicious. And you still get... You still get the nice sweet notes up front. Mm-hmm. 
which I, you know, and, and I don't know if it's a, a continual vein of character where you get these sweet cherry notes or these sweet plum notes, but that seems to come through so far in, in a lot of the whiskeys that you produce. Well, I think it's, again, it's my, my oak. You know, I think, um, you know, we use Kelvin Cooperage. And, you know, we've tried a couple other cooperages, you know, talking about, you know, in case we could run into supply issues, I like my oak. Yeah, it's part of it's what I'm used to, but, you know, it, it creates that, you know, profile of whiskey that we have. Now, this one right now is still in the barrel. When can the public expect to experience that? I, I think you said that might be an allocation right now that yeah. we might not get a chance to try. Um, so this is, thank you, this is fortuitous. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Uh, so uh, I think the Philadelphia Whiskey Society is thinking about this one now. We haven't committed yet. Um, uh, but if not, we would probably see it sometime next year. But I'm making three more barrels of it now. Um, I have, uh, so we, we kind of do, uh, we have our peat week. So when we do peated whiskey, because the peat is so strong in the brew house, we do it all in one, all at once. So once a year, we run like seven or eight brews in a row of all peated whiskey. That way, Sly Fox doesn't have to they clean it at once before moving on to their beer, so there's not uh, any contamination there. Are there special t-shirts so, you get for <laughs> peat week? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, so we, you know, every year we try, try a little bit different, you know, this past year we tried some, uh, we spec some really heavy peated malt and it definitely gave more of an Islay character to it than, uh, what you're drinking now. But I have a bunch of other barrels of this that I'm now going to throw in the art bag cask. Hey Bax, I just want to say, I mean, we found you about four years ago, um, when we started out on our fermented adventure and... One of the things I can share with you and just to tell you is the maturation and, and how wonderful your whiskeys are becoming and, and how they become. I just want you to under, just tasting something like this. This is this is heaven in a glass and all the experiences and the changes just are, are, are phenomenal. I don't so like thank you. Pete, but if I had to drink one that because he has a few, I think at home, too. It would be yours. Yeah. It, it really is good because it's, it's not as heavy. It's subtle. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's subtlety to it. That's, 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 that's incredible. Really good. You know, that's that's what I like in my whiskeys. I, I take more, it's more the Japanese approach where you don't want any single note to stand out too far. Um, so I like Pete when it's part of the whiskey, not all of the whiskey. I love your philosophy on that. I really do. Just a, a sense of, you take that Japanese philosophy and I think those rules for you come through in what you're producing so we got one more to sample through one more to sample through one more to sample through that you want to uh get people excited about so this is a three-month-old malt whiskey now this is really where you want to be right this, this is this is where a lot of the direction I mean, by no means are we uh, now, you're not gonna that's not the only place you're gonna yeah. be so we're, we want to have, have gin you have vodka you have all kinds of other things for people to enjoy yeah, we do. We we make a a variety of spirits, but you know, our focus, my focus is whiskey. But you know, we have there are four grain line, but we we want to you know a lot of uh, distillers will have a bourbon and a rye. For us, this is going to be our bourbon and rye, where we have the four grain and we have our malt, my our malt whiskey line. I kind of touch on it, and I don't want to miss it. But if if you're if you're you know if your deal isn't isn't whiskey, and you want to come here, you make a really amazing gin. Um, you make 
great vodka. I mean, there's a lot of things of the clear spirit nature that you're producing too. Yeah, because we we've talked a lot of whiskey, but we haven't talked a lot about your other spirits. Yeah, we just released a really nice apple brandy as well. We're going to do that uh, on a seasonal basis, which now. is great for where we are in Pennsylvania because you have access to a lot of apples yeah. and things like that. Yeah, right? the apples came within like two hours from from here. Who is responsible for creating your cocktails, by the way? Um, so I will give, um, you know, we definitely use a team approach, uh, when it comes to that, but, um, I would like to give a shout out to, uh, Jennifer Sabatino, who is our director of uh, marketing business. Um, and she's basically running all our tasting rooms and she is curating, uh, our cocktail menu. So she was operating our Passion location down in South Philly. Uh, but now she's overseeing all of our locations, which is going to include one coming up in Ardmore. Um, and, you know, hopefully a few more at some point. Um, so she's overseeing all of that. Do she you, does an amazing job. Do you see or do you feel that with the craft distilling industry, working to create more of a destination, sim- something similar to where you know, Kentucky or Tennessee, where you really hone, where you really hone in on the industry. You, you see Manitani being part of that. Um, I think at one, at some point, yes. Um, you know, we were part of the, uh, Pennsylvania whiskey trail, uh, which is connected to Maryland's and DC and connects all kind of the old from Pittsburgh to Philly and down that way. Um, and, you know, we're trying to promote that and embrace that. And I think we're a long way from being a whiskey destination. Um, but I think, uh, you, you know, touched upon this on kind of other, uh, but Pennsylvania is actually an incredible place to be a craft produce, craft whiskey producer. The, the rules here, um, Pennsylvania has some antiquated rules when it comes to just about everything except for whiskey and beer and wine and cider. They do a great job of freeing us up to be able to do what, what you know, to, to make our businesses viable. Uh, so we have the ability to have our satellite locations. We can sell direct. Um, we can sell by the glass. You can buy bottles from us. Uh, so all these things uh, are... I take for granted now, but you can't do them in other states. No, and um, there are other states that are notorious about putting handcuffs on these producers. I don't even know how they thrive, but I'm glad that they do. Yeah, I mean, there's some states where you, you can't even buy a bottle from a distillery. You have to go taste it there and then drive to a ABC store, a liquor store, a state store to buy it from them, which is absolutely insane it's, to me. Yeah. Now, somebody wants to purchase some of your bottles... Can, do you ship out of the state of Pennsylvania? How can they get some of your bottles? So, not right now. We uh, will ship within inside Pennsylvania, um, and you can get get them from our retail locations, which is a distillery in Pottstown and um, East Passion Gave uh, down in South Philly. Um, like I said, we're going to open up a, another location in Ardmore, hopefully before the end of the year. Um, and we are, you know, we have a couple other locations that we're, uh, sidelined due to COVID. Um, but we're, you know, always looking to expand. Um, you know, at some point we'll start looking for, um, you know, to move into other States. Uh, but you know, I think there's, there's a lot more whiskey drinkers in Pennsylvania that we can hit first before we can go somewhere else. So what you're saying is 
if you listen to the podcast, you're curious, and you want to try some great whiskey from Manitani, you need to come get here. Manitani, Ardmore, uh, in, in Passion, Manitani in Ardmore, and then you can uh, yeah, really get just, your fill. Just know somebody in Pennsylvania. We, I, we'll, I, we, we'll we drive it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we do this a lot where uh, someone calls us and we be like, oh, my cousin lives in PA. So I ship it to him and then they go get it from there. Um, so unfortunately, uh, not at this point. Um, but I, you know, I don't think it'll be long before we're going to be a little bit more widely available. So talk about this single malt, which I'm, I'm I, this is great. I get to learn. I get to hear the, the knowledge you have, but I just get to listen and sip. This is wonderful. So talk about this a little bit. So this is the uh, same sort of approach we're taking with the four grain. We're going to take this with the, the single malt. So we add a little bit of the grain back. Uh, we lowered the, the batch size. Um, and this, is, this has been three months in a used barrel. So you can see it's a lot lighter in color, a lot less barrel forward than the, the four grain was. Um, but when I approach this, I immediately get sort of um, roasty grains out of it. Uh, you get some chocolate notes, but you know this is this is a great idea of you know what malt is in a whiskey is kind of what I get when I smell this. You know, it just smells like you're you're smelling grains. Um, and then on the palate, um, I get a lot I get a really nice texture. Um, I get a lot of different like stone fruit, some some apple. You know, it's for three months old. I think it's I'm. I'm Pretty happy with where it is, and I'm, you know, be really happy when it gets to like two, three years old. There are other expressions too. You have a vanilla rum coming out. There's another one. You have some things coming out in November. What can people expect from Manitani with some other releases? So one of the things that we always do is that you know we have our core products that are available all the time, um, but we release um, specialty products uh, six, eight times a year. Um, and then, so for, uh, you know, we just released our maple whiskey and our apple brandy for the fall season. And then, uh, right at Thanksgiving, we're going to release, uh, two more products. It's going to be a batch rum, uh, that was aged in new American oak for two to six years. And then we finished it in a vanilla extract barrel. So it's going to, this is kind of going away from my, uh, Japanese approach where this is going to have a pretty distinct vanilla note to it. Um, and then the other thing where we have is a six grain whiskey, uh, which this was uh, just something to try. Um, so what are the other two grains that you added to that? It's going to be rice and corn. Uh, so I, this is kind of... So, uh, so corn finally made its way. <laughs> this is the one and only time I've ever used corn. And uh, uh, a lot of the people here call this uh, Max's regret okay. uh, because... You know, I, I'd always, always promise I would never put corn. But this one almost drinks like very, like a baby bourbon. Uh, it's really, really light style kind of bourbon, but it's only 10% corn. You know, not the 51% uh, what it would be need to actually call bourbon. Any more plans to do another bottle and bond? Um, you've done, if, remind me, you've done mezcal so, barrel releases. Any other plans of that to do? Uh, yeah, we do. Um, you know, we, we are always trying some new things. Um, so we tried, um, I was calling it our, uh, our finished white whiskeys. So our white whiskey, if you ever try it, uh, has some uh, distinct like uh, agave notes to it. kind of has a tequila-like character to it. So we thought, why not play with it and push it further in that direction? 
So we put it in a mezcal barrel, we put it in a tequila barrel, and it really pushed it in that direction and kind of blurred the line between the whiskey and the mezcal and tequila and made for a really interesting product. I loved it. And, and again, that to me is that your engine, that's your ingenuity, that's your creativity that I can't get anywhere else or I don't see other craft producers doing that because you're taking a risk. Yeah, we're trying. We're, and that's a great risk because as a consumer, I loved it. Yeah, and we can try it at a barrel and, you know, a barrel at a time. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're moving forward with that with a couple different other expressions, um, but we're not in any rush to release them. Those are on the younger side. Uh, I think some of the, we're going to wait a little bit longer for some of the other expressions to, to kind of age out. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do some more on the finishing barrels for some port uh, finishes, some sherry finishes, um, uh, we gotta, so, a, Max, what you're saying is, look, don't just rest because there's a lot of great things that are going to keep coming. And now, I mean, obviously, I don't ever say that COVID's over. I think it's something we're always going to have to live with, but it's just how we manage through it. What can people expect when they when they come to the distillery now? You know, some of the events, you've got Piper's Project that you're still doing. Talk a little bit about that so people understand what Piper's Project is. I know that's important yeah. to you. Uh, so Piper, uh, as you may have heard a little right. bit earlier, is uh, my dog. Um, and we got her right when we uh, when I opened the distillery. I, uh, I was like, wait, can I bring a dog to work? And it's the your other place, guys yeah. were like, <laughs> There's no sure, food. <laughs> sure, why not? And at that point... Uh, I, I let my wife know, and she's like, yes, we're getting a dog. Um, so we adopted Piper, um, and she's come to work with me ever since. Um, so we feel passionate, and she's a little pity. And when she comes, when you come to the door, she's going to bark at you, and she's going to be loud, and you know, might be a little bit intimidating, but she's the sweetest dog in the world. Um, she's great with the kids. You know, she all bark and no bite on that dog. Um, so we wanted to, to give back uh, to the community. So we uh, created what was the Piper Project. So our vodka, which is not a craft product, uh, we source as GNS, uh, grain neutral spirit, and process it here and bottle it here. Um, we call it Three Bitches Vodka. And we go with the Piper Project. So when you buy a bottle of that, we donate a portion of the proceeds to uh, local rescues. And this year, we're working with the Brandywine Valley SPCA. Um, we've been sponsoring dogs. That's a great SPCA, and I don't know if they were able to do their bike ride this year, because I know that's a big money uh, opportunity for them to build and, and yeah, be able to work with dogs. it's definitely been a challenge yeah. in, you know, COVID times. You know, I, I do feel like we're on the on the latter half of it. Um, you know, we've been able to open up and have pretty good, um, you know, functionality out of our tasting rooms. Uh, we have a large outdoor section here at, Pens uh, at Pottstown, and in Patreon we have uh, a lot of outdoor seating as well. Um, so we've we've been trying to focus on that, um, uh, but we're we're starting to have uh, you know going back to our events um, and kind of the things that we we have a lot of fun. We had our apple brandy release a couple weeks ago, where we had a, a good crowd out here. Um, so we're we're getting back into the swing of things. Max Pfeffer, thank you so much for this. Exceeded my expectations, and I knew that when we sat down, it was going to be uh, just so interesting and so fascinating. And 
you've you've exceeded that for me and, and Dawn, and this is why we do our fermented adventure. Can't wait to see more of the great things coming out of Manitani. If you're in the Pottstown area, if you're in the Philly area, definitely come and, and check out what Manitani is producing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you coming out. Thank you.